For now, though, we're going to welcome our guest for this evening is the Cape Town Labour Consultant in our studio, ready to take your queries. And please feel free to give us a call on 21 442-3530 or feel free to SMS us on 47913 explaining your problem and we will also focus on family law topic of uh, custody and access. Good evening to you sir. Good evening, how are you doing today? Very well, thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks that's for Mr. having Gary me. Um, the topic, uh, I know we're looking at uh, labour relations, are we also, will we also be touching on family law as well? Can no, we more labour relations. More labour relations, yeah. okay. Yeah. That will be our focus, labour relations. So that's once again our guest in studio and our focus for this evening, it's labour relations. So any queries, any questions, uh, any burning issue that you have um, with regards to labour issues, you're most welcome to send us through those SMSs or give us a call. Can we go through with our first questions? Yes, we can. Um, looking at firstly and foremost retrenchments within yeah. South Africa, that's been on the increase. And um, is there any procedures when it comes to retrenchments? Yes, there definitely is. Um, Section 189 of the Labor Relations Act of South Africa clearly outlines the process that companies should follow in terms of retrenchments. So first and foremost, what it says is that if a company um, foresees possible retrenchments, they're obliged to embark on a consultation process with their staff. Um, basically, in the consultation process, um, the way it starts is that you get invited or the the affected staff will get invited to a retrenchment consultation or proposed retrenchment consultation. Um, that's a normal form that gets filled out, inviting um, the employee or the infected employees to to the consultation and basically giving them some background to this to, to the situation. So most companies, especially in today's climate, um, the reason for the for their retrenchments is operational or financial reasons, um, downscaling the workforce because of the, the operational cost in terms of salaries and overheads and all those type of things. So from that point of view, basically in your invitation to consult, you give them a broad explanation, you give your staff a broad explanation of the reasons for the proposed retrenchments, and as well as giving them the A to J, which we refer to in labor law. Um, we talk about notice pay, um, uh, uh, sorry, your retention package, your savings mm -hmm. package, um, you know, has the business considered any alternatives? Because remember, retrenchments is basically or should be a company's last resort. Mm -hmm. um, or dismissing people for operational reasons should be a company's last resort. We then send out the invitation to consult. Um, we have the consultation with the staff. If it's been done for financial reasons, I always advise my clients, give some sort of financial information. So whether it is turnover, expenses, you know, it just needs to be a one page showing what the income is, what the expenses is, kind of justifying why the retrenchments need to take place. Okay, mm -hmm. you then have the consultation. You answer all the questions in terms of the A to J. So, have you considered alternatives? No, we haven't. Or yes, we've had. We've um, cut costs in terms of um, electricity bills, internet bills. You know, all to to get to a certain amount of savings. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, that that savings is not enough. Hence, us then going to possible retrenchments. Um, you then have the consultation with your staff, you explain everything to them. I always tell my clients, listen, be open and honest. Mm -hmm. If you're doing the retrenchment for a legitimate reason and it's finance related and you have to save cost, then unfortunately it's not a nice thing to do. But I always say, be 
open, honest, and transparent. Mm. Um, in the long run, it saves you in terms of referrals to the CCMA. Okay. Um, in these consultations, you discuss um, the proposed date of the effective operational dismissal. A retrenchment is basically called in labor law an operational dismissal. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you discuss notice pay, annual leave, um, if they require to work their notice or not. Now, with that concerned, if an employee doesn't want to work their notice, then the company is not obliged to pay them. However, if the employee is willing to work their notice, but the company doesn't require them to work their notice, then the employee then has to still be paid for that notice period. Mm. Um, statutory payments in terms of annual leave, the same with any other termination or dismissal or resignation. It's, annual leave is a statutory payment, so it has to be paid over to the employee. Um, severance pay is then calculated basically one year for every completed year's service. Mm. So, again, referring to the Labor Relations Act, it says uh, an employer is advised, or not advised, obliged to pay one year, oh, sorry, one week for every completed year's service. So, if you're working for a company for two completed years, you would get mm. two weeks notice pay based on your basic sorry two weeks severance pay based on your basic salary okay notice pay is then calculated either on your contract so in normal contracts of employment would say if you serve for a period of 12 months or longer you need to you need to give a month's notice or four weeks notice to your employer 30 days Mm. okay anything under that is then calculated either two weeks or one week depending on your length of service Okay, um, some companies follow the basic conditions of employment in terms of the termination of an employment contract. However, what is whatever stipulated in your employment contract? So, like I said, um, if you're working for under a year, you don't have to give four weeks' notice. When you resign, you give two weeks' notice. Mm. But for example, in your contract of employment, if it states that you need to give four weeks' notice regardless the length of service then that would then apply with your retrenchment in terms of your notice pay. Hmm. Okay. okay. Um, can we yeah. just go for an ad break? Yes, Sorry we can. Sorry to interrupt at that point. We're going to go for an ad. In the meanwhile, the number is 47913. Your questions related to retrenchments or uh, labor issues, you're most welcome to send that SMS to 47913. Then also give us a call, 021-442-3530. Our guest in studio, Mr. Gary Messina. Welcome once again to our program on the Voice of the Cape, Talking Point 91.3. Our guest, Gary Messina, Cape Town Labor Consultant, and uh, that's a labor consultant. And this evening, focusing on uh, retrenchment, that was our first question, if you have just joined us. Um, uh, Gary was telling us more about the retrenchments. Uh, So if you do have anything pertaining to that, you're most welcome to send through an SMS. We will also be reading out those SMSs and, and 
asking uh, Gary pertaining to those uh, questions that are, that's posed on our SMS line. So once again, 47913. Just ask Gary to continue um, with what he was discussing previously about retrenchments and giving us the dynamics and all the protocol surrounding retrenchments. And after we get immediately into your questions as well. Perfect. Okay, so just to recap on what we spoke about before, Section 189 Labor Relations Act says that if a company foresees possible retrenchments, they are obliged to embark on a consultation process. So the first step would be for the company to invite you to a consultation. Mm -hmm. You then have the consultation and you get an understanding of why the company is doing what they're doing, why they foresee that retrenchments is then the only option. Like I said, um, retrenchments should be the company's last option it shouldn't be first they should have tried various other things to avoid the retrenchments mm. you then have the consultation the company then needs to give you there's no set amount of hours but i always say 48 hours or longer okay mm. in that 48 hours you then basically digest all the information you received and then provide the company with your alternatives to avoid the retrenchments so for example as the company considered reducing salaries or changing working hours um, in an attempt to avoid the retrenchments okay you then make these recommendations alternatives in writing the company then needs to go through those alternatives and see if listen are any of these options viable are they actually going to get us to the required savings that we need to need mm. to generate um, <coughs> if not or yeah either way the company needs to give you written feedback as well mm. so then actually need to then in the final consultation call you in and say okay, listen gary you've given this alternative um, unfortunately it won't work because of x y and z we've tried it um, it's not going to produce the required savings that we need the company then finalizes the retrenchments and sits down with each staff member um, <coughs> and basically take takes them through what we call an operational retrenchment agreement where there's various points in terms of notice pay and the fact that it's been on you've gone through a consultation process and one of the last clauses in this document is that it's a full and final settlement okay, okay. so that's, so that's uh, the overall process mm -hmm. of how a, a retrenchment should work Okay, um, we're just going to take a step aside from retrenchments uh, and we're going to get into the questions. Mm -hmm. The first question reads, and I'm, I'm now working 10 years and four months at the same company. How many annual and sick leave am I entitled to? Okay, so annual leave, um, basic conditions of employment says that you're entitled to 15 days annual leave um, per year um, that accumulates at 1.25 days per month. Okay. However, that is the minimum requirement that companies give. They can't give anything less. However, um, some companies do actually give more annual leave depending on your length of service. So the higher you go up in the food chain, mm. um, a benefit would be to increase your annual leave entitlement. So unfortunately, if I was just thinking about 10 years in terms of annual leave, it would also be dependent on what annual leave you've taken. And some companies also have a policy that annual leave can't accumulate after a certain period. Um, if not taken, the, uh, the employee then forfeits the annual leave. However, that is all then based on company policy. But basic conditions of employment, you're entitled to 15 days that accumulates at 1.25 days per month, okay? okay. In terms of sick leave, um, <clears throat> the way sick leave works, it says that you, 
if you work Monday to Friday, because um, there's a difference between a retail week and a normal working week. Mm-hmm. So normal working week will be Monday to Friday. You then entitled to 30 days sick leave over a three year cycle. Okay? okay. One thing we need to remember, remember about sick leave it, is that it doesn't accumulate after three years. So if you, for that three years, haven't used any of your sick leave, unfortunately you forfeit and then your new cycle then kicks in. Mm. So the sick leave cycle, where it's basically 30 days of a three year cycle from the start of your employment. If you exhaust your your sick leave within the three, three year period, um, <clears throat> then all sick leave taken is then unpaid until your new cycle kicks in. So in terms of the example in the SMS, again, it would then be dependent on what sick leave was taken. But on 10 years, you've basically been through three, yeah, three, three, three year cycles um, mm. and you should now be in your fourth cycle. Um, again, it would then be dependent on was any um, sick leave taken, mm. but sick leave is not something that it's not a statutory payment. So in other words, when you resign from a company, they don't pay you out your sick leave. They pay you out your annual leave because that is an entitlement. Um, <clears throat> sick leave accumulates. Well, it doesn't really accumulate. If you were to say it accumulates, you'd say 10 days a year. Mm-hmm. Um, but sick leave doesn't really accumulate. You can use all 30 days in the first year of, of your first three-year cycle. Um, just bearing in mind after that, whatever sick leave you take is unpaid, regardless whether or not you you produce a doctor's certificate. Mm, Quite interesting. So there we go. Hope that answered your question. Uh, Thanks, Gary, for that. The the next one, it says, um, I had my leg amputated in January due to illness. The doctor boarded me from work. The company have the letter from the doctor, but said that I stayed away from work. I did not receive any notice or anything from the company that I'm no longer part of the company. What happens in a case like this? Okay, so in a case like that, um, we refer to what we call ill health or incapacity. So, if you were off, you then, if you, yeah, if you are off or on sick leave, you of course obliged to then notify the employee. That's the first thing you need to do is pick up the phone and say, "Listen, um, I need to go for an operation." Or, um, from the sounds of it, it seems like it was an illness that that progressed over the years. So the company should have been aware aware of it. But the first thing you do is you basically, you notify the business that you're off for whatever reason, okay? Um, In terms of the process thereafter, so unfortunately his leg was then amputated, depending on what, so what the company now needs to do, what they should have done was basically um, call him in to attend or yeah, to, to represent evidence in a, a incapacity hearing. And in, a, and in an incapacity hearing, you basically look at the medical report. So if the doctor has deemed him unfit for duty, then he would then be dismissed for incapacity and then entitled to his notice pay, his annual leave, and those type of things. Mm. Okay? Um, but from the sounds of it, the company didn't follow that procedure and they basically dismissed him without following either a disciplinary inquiry for misconduct related to unauthorized absence if they're saying like he said mm. that he um they didn't they were looking for a medical certificate or they they dismissed him for unauthorized absence what they should have then dismissed him for was ill health and incapacity 
but only based on the doctor's report stating that he's unfit for duty. Mm-hmm. If the doctor deems him fit for duty, then the doctor will say, okay, he'll come back to work on the 10th of yeah. whatever month. Um, you then require to report for duty on that day. If you don't, without valid reason, that is then an authorized absence. And mm-hmm. they'll follow then the misconduct route. So there was two routes that the company should have followed. Would it be an incapacity? or misconduct in terms of unauthorized absence. Mm. So my advice to the caller would basically, depending on when this happened, um, would basically refer the matter to the CCMA for procedural unfairness um, because there is a process in place for incapacity Mm. and there is a process in place for for misconduct, which companies, they're not obliged to follow, they have to follow it. Okay. Yeah. So he can go the route of the... The CCMA, also bearing in mind that the CCMA, um, <coughs> depending on when he was dismissed, mm-hmm. so when an employee is dismissed from a company, you basically have 30 days to refer the matter to the CCMA. If you don't refer the matter in that 30 days, you can still go to the CCMA, but we, you then need to apply for condemnation and basically explain why you didn't, hmm. explain to the commissioner why you did not refer that matter within the 30 the days. Hmm. Moving on with our questions. Uh, Assalamu alaikum. Good evening. I retired last year after 30 years without break in service. I applied for UIF 15 working days after the six month cutoff date, which I was not aware of. My application was declined as being late. I did not appeal against this. My question is on what grounds would the Labor Department approve an appeal? And if the appeal is not approved, is there any other avenue I can follow? Shukran, thank you. Okay, so UIF, um, <clears throat> yes, retirement, you can claim UIF. Um, unfortunately, I'm not aware of what the referral periods are in terms of UIF and how, when you can refer the matter to the UIF department or claim the UIF. So the only advice I can give would be to actually go to the Department of UIF because that money is entitled to you. You would, again, like the previous scenario, have to explain, I would assume, have to explain to anybody in the UIF department why the matter was referred late or why you came in late to collect your, your UIF money. Also bearing in mind that in order to do that, you need to basically have a UI, a UI 19 form um, from your previous employer, which will basically mm-hmm. then state the reason for the dismissal or if it was a retirement, an operational dismissal, a retrenchment, those type of things. Mm-hmm. So the only advice I can give would be to actually go either into the UIF department or the Department of Labor, and there are various offices in Cape Town, Balbal, Kimberley, George, um, and actually um, asked to meet with someone and explain what had happened. Like I say, yes, that you are entitled to that money, but there are regulations in place as to when it needs to be claimed, um, how often it needs to be claimed. And I speak under correction, but from what I understand, I know in the example of a retrenchment, you're entitled to claim you are for a period of eight months. Okay, I'm not 100% sure when you retire, if it's a longer period or if it's a shorter period. Hmm. Thanks for that. Um, the next question reads, I have been working this company uh, for more than five years in the motor industry as a motorcycle driver delivering motor parts the same. People have chemical company 
next door and we drivers have to deliver the chemicals as well. Is that the proper procedure as I was employed only at the motor industry? Okay, that would then be based on what was discussed with you or what is in your contract of employment. I always advise my clients, try and keep job descriptions outside of your contract of employment because any terms and conditions in the contract of employment are legally binding, okay? Um, and can only be changed via consultation and it opens a whole new section in labor law, what we call unilateral changes. Mm-hmm. So it would depend how he was employed from the beginning. Um, and if, I, if I'm understanding correctly, he was employed in the motor industry, mm-hmm. um, but he's doing deliveries now for, for chemical. Companies next door, yes, for the chemical company as well. So, yeah, again, you know, like I always say, your first point of contact would be your HR department or your line manager, and just to get an understanding of what is going on and why you're doing it. Um, Mm. The company could have a legitimate reason why they're needing to do this. Um, You know, in today's economy, businesses basically try anything to earn extra income. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, what is the ruling if you are sick but you go to work but really can't cope and function and your boss tells you you can't go home, you have to stay in work for three hours and then go home? My colleague was really sick but too afraid to stay home. She can't afford to get to a doctor because she cannot afford it. Thanks. Okay. So I always say to people when you're sick, you're sick, you're entitled to stay at home. That is why provisions have been made in labor law for sick leave sick leave is not a lot of people a lot of companies think that sick leave is a nice to have if i can put it that way (laughs) but it's not a nice to have it's an entitlement if an employee is sick then they're entitled to take sick leave the basic conditions of employment also says that you if you're off sick for one day you don't have to produce a doctor certificate if you're for two or more days that is when you then need to produce a doctor certificate unfortunately if you don't then produce a certificate after two days the company can say okay it's unpaid and we're giving you a warning for an authorized leave because you're not validating the leave because mm-hmm. remember you only have certain types of leave. You have annual leave, family responsibility leave, sick leave, um, yeah, I think that that's about it, um, and then maternity leave, sorry, <laughs> forgot mm-hmm. to mention that one. Um, so the same thing with family responsibility leave, it's reserved, you get three days per year, which is then reserved for the birth of your child, the death of your mother, your father, a sibling, direct family. Um, when your child is sick and they're under the age of 18, um, but in order to claim your leave or, or to justify that day off as family responsibility leave, you then need to produce a certificate, whether it be a death certificate or a sick certificate mm-hmm. for the necessary party. Um, coming back to the sick leave, sick leave is an entitlement. So you are, if you are sick, you're entitled to take the day off. There's nothing, and I mean nothing that the company can do if you take off sick. For one day, if you take off sick for two or more days, the only thing you need to ensure is that you give a doctor certificate. Mm. There's nothing the company can do. Yes, they can turn around and say that you're abusing your sick leave, but in order to do that, you would have had to have been off for, for twice yeah. in an eight-week period. Then they can turn around and say, okay, listen, there's a pattern in your sick leave, mm. um, which a lot of people are guilty of. Mm. You then now need to produce a doctor certificate for each and every day of absence. Mm. Okay. But in that scenario, my advice to the person was to firstly not have come to work, 
Mm. I'm, I'm a firm believer in the sense of if you're sick, um, in general, the only thing that's going to get you better is rest. Mm. It's no use going to work. You're actually going to make yourself more sick and actually going to make everybody else sick around you. And not be productive um, at all. Exactly. And a company cannot force you to stay at work if you're sick. Mm-hmm. Because they expose themselves to too much risk from an occupational health and safety's point of view. Mm-hmm. Thanks for that. Uh, join us once again after the break. We'll continue with your questions. Karim Messina, our guest this evening in studio, Cape Town Labour Consultant, telling us more about your rights and also recourse that you can take as an employee when confronted or faced with some uh, challenge in your workspace. Can you tell us a bit about, um, you mentioned about maternity leave as well. What what are employees usually, what, what are their rights when it comes to maternity leave? Okay, so maternity leave, again, referring back to the basic condition of employment, the employer, being the company, is only obliged to give you four months time off. It can be unpaid, it can be paid. It's entirely up to the company. I know a lot of companies would give you a third of your salary and then you claim the remainder from the UIF department. Mm. Um, but labor law basically says the only thing the company is obliged to do is to give you four months unpaid leave. It doesn't have to be paid. That's entirely up to the company. Mm. Um, it also says that the maternity leave, you basically become eligible for maternity leave four weeks prior to your due date. Again, if you feel you want to work up until the last, you're entitled to do that, provided that you you give the company a medical certificate stating that you know, you're capable of working up until two days before your expected delivery date. Mm-hmm. And then there's also regulations um, after that. So... You can't return to work after you give birth. You basically mm-hmm. need to stay in for a period of six weeks before you return to work. Company is not allowed to let you into their premises or allow you to continue working prior to that six weeks. Okay, mm-hmm. that six weeks would also apply in the event of a miscarriage or a stillborn baby. Um, you can basically you're still entitled to your maternity leave um, of six weeks. And then you need to return to work. Okay. Thanks for, for that, uh, Carrie. The next question, it says, how many sick leave days if working at a hair salon? Okay, a hair salon, if I remember correctly, falls under the retail and hospitality sector. So you're entitled to 36, because you work six days a week. So you're entitled to 36 days of a three-year period. Um that is, of course, if you work six days a week, and most um, hair salons are open on a Saturday. Hmm. Some are open on a Sunday as well. If you work a five-day week, then you're entitled to 30 days of a three-year cycle. If you work a six-day week, it's 36 days of a three-year cycle. Okay, that's how it works. Um, the next question, um, not too clear of the next one. I would like to know, um, it says the SWY board me. From work has seen government departments as well as the company doctor. It's been months now, and so no luck. Please advise. 
Okay, what I can advise on in that scenario, again, is the process of incapacity. So, and it all stems from sick leave, to be honest with you. Um, a lot of companies see that a certain employee has taken a lot of leave. They are then entitled to say, okay, listen, we actually want you to go for a full-on medical and we'd like the doctor to say whether you're medically fit for duty or unfit for duty. Again, unfit, you follow the route of a dismissal related to incapacity. If the doctor claims that you're fit for duty, again, there's nothing that the company can do. Mm. Um, you then need to basically slot back into your normal job. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, so I'm not really sure on that question, but what I've done is, of course, given advice in terms of incapacity, uh, a dismissal related to incapacity. Um, and the only way that can occur is if the doctor deems you unfit for duty. Hmm. Okay. Hope that answers your question. Um, that continues. Let's continue. We have approximately four minutes left to go for this uh, program. Um, looking at settlement packages, mm -hmm. what would be acceptable when it comes to settlement packages? Well, again, it's entirely dependent on the company. The minimum requirements are set in the basic conditions of employment where it says for your severance pay, it's one week for every completed year service. You then basically get your salary up until the day you're notified of your retrenchment. Mm. You get your notice because your notice would then kick in from the day of that you're notified you're being retrenched and then your annual leave pay. Um, that is what's all included in your retrenchment or severance package. Some companies do give more severance, um, but again, then they not they don't have to. They do it on a I won't say case by case scenario because once you you know start implementing a standard, you have to then continue with that standard. Um, you know, big thing in labor law we speak about consistency. Mm -hmm. Consistency in how you discipline staff and consistency in terms of retrenchments as well. So if you're giving, unless you open the whole retrenchment process up to voluntary retrenchments, which a lot of companies do do, and they actually give you an opportunity to say, listen, I volunteer for retrenchment. Um, most companies say, okay, listen, you volunteer, so opposed to giving you one week for every completed year service, we'll give you two weeks. Bearing in mind that if you choose voluntary retrenchment, you can't claim UIF. Okay. Um, yeah, it's the same way that when you resign, you can't claim UIF. Mm -hmm. um, if you sign a mutual separation agreement with a company, you can't claim UIF. Mm -hmm. So the basic conditions of employment and the Labor Relations Act clearly outlines what are the bare minimum entitlements. So one week for every completed year service in terms of severance pay, <clears throat> your notice pay calculated either based on the basic conditions of employment or whatever stipulated in your contract. Some people or some companies, and I've come across a scenario where some companies, depending on what level of management you are, actually say that you need to give two months notice. Mm. In that way, when they terminate the contract, they need to pay you for that two months notice as well, regardless whether or not you work. Okay, um, and then your annual leave, which I said is a statutory payment, and that has to get paid to you. Mm -hmm. 
Um, we come to the end of our time. It's uh, Gary Messina, Cape Town Labour Consultant. We need to conclude at this point, but thank you very much for joining us this evening. Thanks and, for having uh, me. It's, it's been a pleasure. Wealth of knowledge. Such a young man. He has so <laughs> much knowledge. Can only grow from here if you're this strong and you know you you know, know so much at this age. I can only see for the future goodness for you, prosperity thanks. for you. Thanks, thanks so much. Eh? Have a, enjoy your evening further. You too. And thanks for sharing your knowledge with our listeners.